0: Well, Lord, we come here this morning thankful, grateful, quietly, humbled by your love and mercy and grace, Lord, and that while we were yet sinners, whoa, you you sent your son for us. So, Lord, here as we uh, read your word and study your word, Lord, uh, may it be more than just knowledge. May it be a time of... Knowing you in the way you want us to know you, the right way, and not something that we conjure up in our minds or think about. We just ask that you'd bless our time in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. So we're in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, Before I begin, let me uh, uh, tell you two things. Uh, Cindy Ebert back there, raise your hand, Cindy Ebert. Yep, back there. And Kelly, where's Kelly? There's Kelly right there. So uh, uh, we had this amazing opportunity. I told you about it last time, but I'm going to tell you again. So uh, maybe about a month ago or five months ago or five weeks, five weeks ago or so, I don't know exactly the time, but Uh, It was a Sunday afternoon, and somebody called me from the church here. They're actually sitting in the sanctuary now. I'm not going to embarrass them. And they asked me a good question. I think uh, they asked me, hey, listen, (laughs) the church, speaking of the church at large, and also our church as well, uh, speaks so much about helping um, with pro-life stuff. (laughs) But what are we doing with pro-life stuff which was a fantastic question now just so you know uh... you know the church uh... gives to the human coalition that's uh... uh... here in pittsburgh and uh, we believe in that and uh, we're excited to partner for that with them and i said well you know that's a great question that's a great question and you know we, nothing was resolved in the conversation the person wasn't being mean or they were just being real and i said man that's a great question so the next morning uh, in my, I, I have so many email lists I'm on. I get about 400 emails a day. No kidding. Three, three four hundred emails a day uh, through my work, through church, through other things. And for some reason, which I never do, I never do it. I just summarily dismiss them. I edit them. But the Lord was just, I don't know, he just directed me to my junk mail. <laughs> what? So anyway, I look in there, and there's this email from the Human Coalition, (laughs) and uh, I think it was from Julie who's sitting here today, Julie Ogburn and her family, and what that email said was, hey, we're starting a new virtual baby shower program, so when moms who've chosen life uh, need a baby shower and need some things, we're asking churches to come around, and... Uh, you know, help out with the registry and all that sort of thing. So I said, wow, well, this is great. I passed it on to Cindy and Kelly, and they were willing to be the liaisons and everything. And it just turned out that we signed up for one, and this particular young lady, uh, her, she gave birth early. So she needed the stuff quickly. So the church just went ahead and got the stuff that she needed. We were going to announce it to you so you guys could participate, put in the box. Uh, and so... We've been telling that story, and then Julie and her family are here today, which is really nice, so say hi to them. But then also uh, this morning, somebody told me that somebody who was (laughs) watching online uh, was convicted about this, and wants to, because they don't even live in Pittsburgh, uh, wants to send money to the church, so we'll give it to the Human Coalition. And I said... Well, that's cool, but they could send it straight there, so we'll see what they do. But here's the point, is uh, what we're going to talk about here today is not just uh, talking the talk, but living out what Jesus has for us, right? So anyway, I'm glad they're here. Uh, We're still doing that. We've asked them over at the Human Coalition, if they could, and they're putting us on the wait list, how about we'll we'll take some more young ladies who need baby showers, right? We would do that, right? So here's the deal. If you want to give to that, uh, just put it in the box and make a, make a little notation and we'll make sure it gets to them, okay, or gets to the, the young ladies in the virtual baby shower. We'll announce next time a little quicker, but she came early, so, uh, that that's happening. Oh, okay, so that, that's one thing that I'm, uh, you know, people are, uh, asking about and trying to get involved in and, uh, God bless them for that. Here's another thing. Remember, we signed up uh, with Agapao. I can never say the word right. I know Agape. Is it Agapao? I don't even know how to say it. If it's different, correct me. But anyway, they have a ministry here in the South Hills where they minister to the refugees that are right up the street, folks. You don't have to go to Nepal. You can if the Lord directs you. You don't have to go to Nepal, Iraq, Iran, uh, Africa to to do missions work. Uh, All the folks are living right here. We're in the United Nations refugee city. And anyway, so we partnered with them, and they need diapers. And here's what I want you to do. Don't bring the diapers to church. Uh, Don't give the diapers to me. Here's what we want you to do. We have an office that's one block from here. Uh, Kelly keeps the church phone. You, you could bring them here, but help us get them down to the office is what I 'm saying so that uh, Jared back there, raise your hand, jared uh, Jared and Jess who's not here today, Jared and Jess are our liaison, and they 'll get the diapers to the ministry, okay, and what a way, just a practical way uh, to participate in ministry. so when you're at the store, um, go ahead and uh, uh, if you if you feel led, uh, grab some diapers okay let's just What happened was, during the pandemic, this ministry who relies on World Vision's warehouse, World Vision's warehouse basically shut down, so they have no more diapers to give. That's where they were getting their diapers. Okay, enough of that. Well, not enough of that. That's something that we can bless people with, and so that's really cool. Uh, Let's do this. Let's turn to the first chapter of John, as we're going to try and get through this whole thing, but uh, I doubt it, to be honest with you. But we'll see. We'll see. 1 John chapter 2. I'm sorry. 1 John chapter 2. Let's go there, although we are going to talk about the beginning of this book. This is the disciple, apostle that Jesus loved. (laughs) I don't think he was bragging when he wrote it. I think he knew he was loved. Big difference. Big difference. This was the Apostle that Jesus loved, he was part of that inner three of the apostles, James, John, and Peter, who got to go different places or uh, go deeper with the Lord at the Mount of Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know it, uh, healing of Jairus' daughter. He got to go. He was part of that inner circle. He probably had an anger management problem. That's how we say it today, but an anger problem. He was a a sinner like we're sinners because he was called, remember this, the son or one of the sons of thunder. And yet, isn't it amazing, after he hung out with Jesus for three years and didn't just hang out, he he knew he was dead and resurrected, he became the apostle of love for all time. The one who had anger problem was transformed into the, the apostle of love. And what he's about ready to tell us in this chapter makes all the difference in the world. You see, in um, the book of John, not his letters that he's writing. Remember, he wrote five books, the book of John, a gospel. And then he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he wrote the book of Revelation, five books. In his gospel, remember, he said uh, things like this. If you have the Son, you're free indeed, remember? And you read that, don't you read that? And you're like, wow, I I don't know. Maybe you're just uh, tinkering or coming to Christianity or uh, exploring the claims of Christ or whatever. But when I read that in John 8, I think it is, when I read that in John 8, that, 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 that part about freedom, my ears go like that. I just go, what? Because, see, we love freedom. When we hear freedom, we love it. We love to be free. The problem is the world has the wrong idea of freedom. The the world's idea of freedom is no restraints, nobody telling me what to do, uh, live like hell, and reap the benefits of it. (laughs) And that's how I want to live. And I don't want anybody to tell me where to be and what to do and how to do it. And today, if you'll examine the claims with me, if you'll hang in there... If you'll really start to examine what John, through the Holy Spirit, is saying, listen to this. This is where you find true freedom for the soul. I'm talking freedom from discouragement. (laughs) I'm talking freedom from striving. I'm talking freedom. Have you ever had a quote-unquote problem like anger management, and 15, 20 years down the road, you say, I just can't solve it. There's freedom from that in this, in him. This is it. This is the core. This is what makes Christianity Christianity. This isn't a series of do's and don'ts that you strive to do and never hit. That's the rest of religion. But today, right at the heart of all things that are Christian, this is it. This is what makes a person who's found in Christ free indeed. You want to be free? Do I want to be free? Yes, I want to be free. As soon as I read it, I wasn't even a Christian when I read this stuff, and I'm like, free? I want to be free. You want to be free? Jesus gives us how to be free here today. Look at this. He wrote this book. Uh, He told us several reasons why he wrote the book. He he sets them right out for us. We examined the first one um, uh, last week, that you may have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's almost too staggering to believe that you and I can have fellowship with the creator of the universe through his Son, Jesus Christ, and now the Spirit of Christ comes to live in your life. In other words, you're the temple of God now. You're where the Shekinah glory resides. You're where the glory resides. Oh, my. How about this? He says in uh, 1 chapter 4, um, uh, don't you need this? Come on now. We write you these things that your joy may be full. Oh, man. Don't we want joy? Yes, we want joy. But joy, it comes from a relationship with Jesus, not from the circumstances of life. You know, oftentimes uh, I'll have somebody in and just talk about the Bible. Counseling, you can call it. It's funny, counseling, I, I don't know what it is. All I'm doing is just repeating the Bible. So I'm not great shakes. I'm just repeating the Bible. But I'll have somebody come in and I'll say, well, how'd it go this week? I always ask that question. I do it on purpose. I'm doing it for a purpose. And the reason is, is I'll hear somebody say, well, oh, you know, well, you know, my dog ate my homework. Or, you know, no, I got my homework done successfully. That, that was wonderful. And then you hear this dreaded word, but. But then the next night, the dog ate my homework, and I really wasn't feeling so great about it. And then I'll say something like this typically. So tell me, what you've just told me there, how much of that has to do with your relationship with Christ? Zero. Those are just circumstances that all of us are going to go through. Dog, you're going to get your homework done. It's going to be in on time. That's going to be fantastic. Dog's going to eat your homework sometimes, right? Right? And if you want to have an up and down life with no joy, live like that. (laughs) Because, you know, tomorrow, folks, I got news for you. You're probably, many of you, you're going to go to work or you're going to go to some extracurricular place. And there's going to be circumstances in your work or your extracurriculars or with your friends that are going to be in the toilet. They just are. We live in this kind of world. So if you're basing your joy on your circumstances, you're going to, boom, you're going to be like a yo-yo, up and down and up and down. But if you're basing it on the person and work of Jesus Christ, oh, you have a solid foundation. The Bible tells us he gives us, look at this, grace in which we stand. It's the grace of God through the Son, Jesus Christ, that makes us stable. Perfect love casts out fear, which means what's God doing for you? Perfectly, when he sends his son, Jesus Christ, he's creating a safe space for you. But it's in the person and work of Christ, not circumstances. Your joy may be full. We talked about that last week. Well, listen to this. this is another reason. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read it uh, here. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That you may not sin. By the way, we talked about a couple other purposes. So that you won't be deceived. That's also here in 226. He writes this so you won't be deceived. And another stated purpose, and probably, you know... The ultimate stated purpose is in 5.13. It says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, listen, 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 that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He wants believers to know the assurance of their salvation, and he wants you to know if you're not a believer, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you can know that you have eternal life. So here we go. Chapter 2, verse 1. I read it to you. I'm only going to read the first couple of verses here, and then we're going to pause. I'm going to read you two verses, and we'll pray again. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You you go past this and you say, well, my goodness. Okay, great. Get on to the rest of the stuff. What do I need to do? What do I need to say? What do I need? Okay. If you miss the first two verses, you're going to miss the whole thing. So let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this day. We need your help that your words, your words would come and speak to us, and that it would do something in our hearts, Lord, that you want to do. Help us to grow and to see you more clearly and to understand who we are in you so that we could go out and love a hurting and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, my little children, again, he he's writing these things, who's he writing to? Remember this this letter doesn't have a re, a, a salutation or a, a greeting and an ending that's normal for the epistles. He just kind of starts out and you're wondering who's he writing to. He's writing uh you know in the late 90s uh, AD. He's this old this old apostle, you know this, uh, the one who Jesus <clears throat> entrusted his mother to. You know who he is, a fisherman by trade. He was called out to follow Jesus. That's him, and he comes, and he's now this old apostle. Remember, uh, two things happened. Eusebius tells us, this is uh, pertinent for the story today, uh, that the Romans, uh, because he was, uh, you know, preaching and teaching Jesus Christ and uh, all those sorts of things, they, at one point, don't exactly know when, they tried to boil him in oil. And it didn't take. <laughs> Somehow, some way, God preserved him. And then also, uh, because the word was being proclaimed, if you're following along with us on Wednesdays, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, right? Prison. He was in prison camp in the island of Patmos. And that's where he received his vision uh, for the book of Revelation. But he had great love and great care for the churches. For the churches, uh, you, you know, in Revelation, he speaks to those seven churches in Asia Minor and Turkey. And so he writes to the little children. He's old, and he's speaking to his, the, the, the believers in the faith. And of course, they're little children in age, <laughs> but they're also little children in the sense that he's been sharing with them. He sees them as sons and daughters in the faith, and he writes to them, and that's why little children... Well, these things tie right to you uh, so that you may not, may not sin. Remember, there were a lot of uh, different weird uh, thoughts that he's combating uh, through this letter. One of the thoughts and, uh, that he's combating heavily is Gnosticism. And remember, I told you, the only thing I can remember from Spanish, and I took it for two years in college and several years in high school, the only th- word I can hom- almost, well, I can remember biblioteca. I can remember that. Uh, but I can remember my last name, that's Verde. But this word, I, I don't know why, it's always stuck with me, conosco, to know. That's the only verb I know, and I still don't know how to conjugate it. But anyway, I remember conosco, Gnos- and he was combating the Gnostics, Gnostics, that's the Greek word, right? Konosko. Oh, anyway, uh, that's how my weird mind thinks. But he's battling this Gnostics who were these people who thought they had the true understanding of who Jesus was. And they believed that all matter, like body, anything that was matter, that you could touch and feel like a body, was evil. But there was this part of man and women that you could, uh, you know, really get in tune with the creator of the universe and you could be really ultra spiritual if uh, uh, you, uh, you know, spent enough time and understood it correctly and they saw Jesus sort of as an emanation. That was like uh, the ladder up and to from heaven, like would take the messages from men and give them to God and then get the messages from God and take it to man. And they sort of saw him as uh, some sort of emanation. And the higher they went in their spirituality, the more and more that they were uh, uh, privy to the truth and that God would reveal something to them. And so you know this. Since they saw evil or matter as evil, they went one of two ways. There was one of two camps. One camp was licentiousness. Do whatever you want with your body. It doesn't matter. Who cares? If you're up here developing the spiritual or inside the spiritual, if you're developing that, who cares what you do with your body? It doesn't even matter. Go do anything with your body, and I'll let you think about what that means. And they would do it. And then you had the other camp who thought, well, if uh, my body is evil, I'm going to try to bring it under subjection. And you could read the stories from uh, the Middle Ages, you know, where Christians would whip themselves and try to beat their bodies into submission. And this doctrine would have a real uh, um, uh, polarizing effect even within the church because people within the church believed this. They didn't have a right understanding of who Jesus is and was. They didn't have a right understanding. It was real polarizing because, you know, oh, well. You know, man, I've attained this higher level of spirituality and I basically can do with what I want with my body. And I don't see what you're doing over there beating your body. That's stupid. I mean, I, I know that it, uh, the body's evil, and, right? And it would create this class of people within the church, spiritual people, who have it all together. Even though they don't look like they have it all together because their life doesn't say it has it all. You, you get it? And it was polarizing. It was very divisive. And he's combating this. And he does it in the first chapter. He says, that which I've heard, seen, touched, you know all that. And he says uh, that if you walk in the light, listen, you'll have fellowship with him and with God walking in the light. And he talks about how destructive sin is in chapter one. He says, you know, if you have uh, verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, you know, we walk in darkness. Like we come to church or we go to our, ex- you know, soccer games, hockey games, uh, you know, we're in the supermarket and we, we, we hide the darkness from people. We're not living transparently, but we're hiding the darkness. We're not uh, true uh, about who we are. Oh, hey brother, you know, I'll pray for you uh, kind of talk. And you know darn well, you're like, well, they ain't praying for me. You know that person who's hiding. They they're they're hiding it amongst the fellowship even, even though uh you know, maybe they're not saying it, but the, but they're hiding it. They the Bible says you're a liar and you don't practice the truth. And then it says, But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. You just live a transparent life. Well, I'm a sinner. That 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 healthy idea of who you are based on what the bible says i'm a sinner i and i know it <laughs> and, and when somebody approaches you and say you know the way you think about such and such is really off base you know when somebody comes to you you know what we ought to be saying <laughs> you don't know the half of it if you knew what was going on in here you say, we say stuff like this who are you to tell me what to do who are you to talk to me? That's how Americans are. But see, here it's saying just be transparent. Now listen, I'm not t- saying too much information, folks. You don't have to tell me all the nitty-gritty details, okay? I can get the message. But, but here, just living a transparent life. Because if not, listen, the blood, uh, because the blood of Jesus Christ does cleanse you from all sin. But if you say you have no sin, sin, which m- makes us be dishonest with each other, look at this makes us be dishonest with ourselves. We can start hiding it so long we even believe that we're not sinners or something we're doing is not sin. You get it? It's insidious. That's what sin is. And it's leading to death. And then it can even get so bad as we hide it amongst each other, we deceive ourselves that we can even call God a liar. We make him a liar, verse 10, with our lives. If you say you're not a sinner... You're, you're calling God a liar. If you're saying it here today, either you've surrendered your life to Christ uh, previously and you are acting as if something in your life, well, you know, uh, come on, come on, come on, I need my phone for work. Oh, really? Well, let's look at the history on that phone. Oh, come on, uh, you know, my boss calls me on my phone. Okay, let's, well, let's look at the history. Well, you know, let's not get too carried away here. So, so, so there's people within the church who are hiding it. But also, folks, if you're saying you have not sinned, if you're sitting here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, and you're saying, well, I'm not so bad. That's what I used to say before I became a Christian. I'm not so bad. I smile. I come from a nice family. I went to a nice college. He's worse than I am. <laughs> I would say, things like that. If we're saying that, listen to what the Bible says. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what John is encouraging us to is being transparent and confessing our sin. You get it? And then, oh, by the way, the Bible says, folks here, mature Christians, uh, believers, confess your sins one to another. I love that verse, except for I remember... If somebody's confessing their sin to you privately, they're struggling with someone, don't go and blab it to people. Make people feel safe about telling you stuff. If you're a gossiper or you like to tell everybody in the prayer meeting, you know, you know Gertrude told me that uh, you know she just blah, 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 and then you get to the prayer meeting and you go, okay, Lord, well, Gertrude told me this week that she's a dirty, rotten sinner. Well, come on. How safe is anybody going to be confessing their sin to you? Be discreet with it, but confess it to the Lord, of course. And he forgives our sins and cleanses us cleanses from all unrighteousness. Now he says this, and now it gets to the heart of the issue. I might not get through two verses, and I said I'd get through the whole chapter. Now he gets to the heart of the issue. See, if you don't get this, you'll never be free. But if you get this, you're going to be free indeed. Here it is. Little children, these things I write to you because, so that you may not sin. Do you understand this? I want you to understand what happens to you spiritually when you become a Christian. Do you understand this? That your sins are forgiven. God's wrath is taken care of. God's wrath has been poured out uh, that he needs to pour out. Perfect justice has been meted out. Perfect justice has been eated out at Jesus Christ at the cross, His own Son. And when you become a Christian, listen, your sins are forgiven, but that's not just it. It is it. And hallelujah, it's it. But there's something else that you and I get. You get a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you're a new creation. Here's what I thought Christianity was when people uh, uh, presented the gospel to me. Oh, cool, a way for me to be an improved person. And I got to tell you, I bet you 50 to 60 to 70% of the people sitting right in here think that. People online, they think it. Oh, I'm going to get involved in Christianity so I'll be a better person. That's not what the Bible describes. The Bible says you become a new person. You're a new creation. The old one has died. You're raised to new life, and now Romans six, seven, and eight tells us. Listen to this. Romans six, seven, and eight tells us that your relationship to sin has changed. Previously, you were a slave to sin. You couldn't help it. You had a sin nature, but now that you have Jesus Christ, you're counting on Jesus Christ for your finished work for your salvation and uh, his resurrection. You get a new nature. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Your uh, relationship to sin changes. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. And although you're not going to be sinlessly perfect until you get your glorified, resurrected body, in a sense, until you're glorified, until Jesus comes for you, and you're not going to be sinlessly uh, perfect here on earth. The Lord says it still matters. Sin matters. See, some people in the church treat grace like a crutch. (laughs) I'll look at the image on the phone. What's going to happen? I'm going to just ask for forgiveness. Paul said in Romans 6, 7, and 8 that's sheer stupidity. Nobody who understands the gospel would do that. And so if you're doing that in any area of your life, get on your knees and Pray. Because God has given you a way to not sin. Your relationship to sin has changed. Previously, you were going to sin, you were a slave to sin. Now, Romans 6, 7, and 8 says this you're a slave to righteousness. You have a new nature that wants to do godly, right things. You want to obey God. That's what the Bible says. He says this, you don't need to sin so that you may not sin. And then isn't this beautiful? Come on now. This is beautiful. This is graceful. This is amazing. It's almost kind of funny, but not funny. He just goes on this thing about how dark this is and how insidious it is because you can you know, you're 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 lying to the other people in the fellowship, you're lying to yourself, you're even lying to God. That's pretty significant. And then he says, and I'm going to write these things to you because I don't want you to sin. And then he writes in the next line. To me, it's almost kind of funny. But it's really graceful and it's really loving. He says, but if you do sin. Because <laughs> he knows us. But if you do sin. See, I've been helping people uh, get through some issues uh, lately. And I've asked them to read First John. And you wouldn't believe some of the things that... Uh, not these people, but you know, people in general uh, read into 1 John. Well, it is a litmus test of sorts. It is a litmus test. Paul tells us, not John, Paul tells us to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith, right? And most people teach it this way. And yes, there is an element to this. This book, this chapter, is talking to us about Are you in the faith or not? You'll know by these signals, these signs, these characteristics of your life. But see, we get nervous about it. Am I in? Am I out? Oh my goodness, I said a bad word. Am I in? Am I out? I didn't read my Bible three times this week. Am I in or am I out? Oh my goodness, am I in or am I out? And they don't get the next two verses. And if you get this, you'll be free. Here, they say this. And if anyone sins, so beautiful. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, let me take you back up. Uh, to some really famous verse that I'll bet you you forgot that this word was in there or you've never thought about this word. That verse is right above in your Bible. It's in verse 9. You all can say it. You all can repeat it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We concentrate conf- on confess. Oh yeah, just confess. Our- yep, wonderful. Do it. We concentrate on Uh, 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 the Lord who's faithful and the Lord will forgive our sins oh fantastic and it is fantastic I'm not making fun it is fantastic and not only that he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness but there's one word in there that I think you're missing it's God's just God is grace God is mercy God is love but don't forget folks God is just In other words, sin must be punished. He's just. That's who he is. He can't just sit by and pat sin on the head and say, oh, Tommy, or whatever, oh, sin, do this, do this, do this. That's great for you. Oh, that's wonderful. You're just such a great. No, no, no. Sin must be dealt with. In God's economy, he cannot let sin go. And so Romans tells us that he's both the just and the justifier and that's what makes it beautiful you see the word here advocate is paraclete you know this in john 15 uh, john uses it to describe the work of the holy spirit here he uh, uses the word in slightly a different way uh, to describe the current and present ministry of jesus christ what do you mean well, where is Jesus right now? He's seated at the Father. He's seated at the Father. And so we concentrate on the ministry at the cross and praise the Lord that we do. He died and rose again and he said, "It is finished." He that is the sacrifice of all sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. The penalty has been paid, the debt has been forgiven, the provision is there. It is finished. But Jesus Christ went and ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, which speaks of his advocate ministry of his Holy Spirit, or excuse me, his high priest ministry. And I don't know if you remember this, but when we were in uh, Hebrews, we talked at length. In fact, my dear sisters there said to me, which I'm glad you said, man, it seems like he's repeating himself in this. And I went, bingo. He is repeating himself because it's so important. There's this high priestly ministry. Listen to this now. Folks here who are reading 1 John and are feeling, am I in or am I out? I want you to just tune in right here. Here's Jesus Christ, his current ministry, as he says that he is our advocate before the Father. That word is that helpmate, that one that comes alongside you, you, but it's also a word that's used for a lawyer, the one who stands up with you. Now, if you've never been in a courtroom, folks, it's tense. I've been there. I'm not saying it because I'm bragging. I'm just saying it because that's what I do for a living. (laughs) I'm a lawyer. So if you've never stood up with somebody in a courtroom in a criminal hearing and you're the attorney and all eyes are on you to help this poor soul either in jail or out of jail, well, it's tense. Here, though, the Lord does it effortlessly because of what he's accomplished. It wasn't effortlessly. It was a great effort. It took his life. But now he sits in heaven and he is the advocate With the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. Listen to this. Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, now i got to unpack this a little bit. i got several thoughts on this. So if you'll just hang in, what we'll do is we're going to go to all the thoughts in my mind. Because I don't write them down. I'm not that organized. And then we're going to come back and tie it all together. You okay with that? Here's one thought. See, um, uh, uh, an advocate is one who represents somebody kind of like, you know, by proxy or agency. Like, uh, if you were, uh, you know, sick and you couldn't make the hearing, you called the judge's office and you said, well, I have an attorney and he'll stand there and he's free to do what? He talks on behalf of me, right? So in a kind of a way, just in a human way, if I win he or she wins. You get what I'm saying? If I prevail in court, he or uh, or she wins. In other words, uh, uh, you know, this one uh, who I am, the advocate, is an official relationship. uh, So whatever I win or I get or whatever comes of the hearing, they get. You understand it? Okay. So uh, that's what an advocate is. And see, you love this ministry when it comes to the cross. Don't you? Don't you love this ministry when it comes to the cross? This one, who by the way, was perfectly righteous. He was fully man. He was fully God. He was perfectly righteous. He had to have been. He had to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And listen to this, even take what the law would dish out if you violated it. And what the law would dish out if you violated it was death. He even took the sting out of the penalty of breaking the law. So here he is. He fulfills the perfect righteous requirements of the law. It actually says in here that he's the advocate who's righteous. You you guys hold with me because when I get around to your neck of the woods, this is going to make every difference in the world to you, I think. So that's what an advocate does. He, she, what he achieves, you achieve. And we love that ministry at the cross because the Bible tells us that he was cursed on the tree. What does that mean? Our sins, past, present, and future, were imputed to him at the cross. So that when he, you know, the earthquake is coming and we know he was in physical pain and he was in abandonment pain. But he was also in a pain of receiving, listen to this, the full wrath of God against the sin of the world. Even the sin of the Old Testament saints. It actually says that in Romans 3, I think right around 25 and 26. The sins were covered over during the Old Testament, but they were dealt with on the cross. Oh my. Past, present, future, your sins, just in this little, little body in West Elizabeth, PA, all your sins were imputed to Christ, and the, the Father whoom, poured his wrath out on Jesus at the cross. He poured his wrath out at Jesus at the cross, and what did Jesus do? He died and rose again, which means... Jesus, we, or the Bible tells us, he who knew no sin became sin, Jesus, so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. We, the, the world's sins were imputed to him when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Listen to this. We achieve what he achieved into our spiritual bank account, his righteousness. His righteousness we get. That's on the cross. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But now Jesus is in heaven, and he's our advocate. And you say, well, why would he be our advocate? Well, see, you're thinking of it the wrong way. He's not your advocate because he's up there going, oh, my goodness, Lord, did you see what Tim did today? Lord, Tim needs mercy. Help him from that. See, all of us, I bet you 99% of us think that's the ministry of what Jesus is doing in heaven. That ain't it. You know what the ministry in heaven is? He's just showing the Lord. My blood was sufficient. I died and rose again. The blood, the blood. Listen to this. And now the Father sees you, not just as forgiven, which is what you got on the cross, but also as righteous. Are you catching that? We live like we think the Lord is pleading our case. Oh my gosh, did you see what Tim did? Did you see it, Lord? Hold off. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, Tim is found in me. And the Lord says, I see him as perfectly righteous. See, if you know that, But that's the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is talked about in Hebrews 7. If you know that, if you know that and you believe that, see, you're going to read 1 John in a way different way. (laughs) You are going to treat it as a litmus test, but you're not going to treat it as a litmus test that you must obey out of fear. Hold on. Don't, Don't nod off on this. But you're going to understand that you get uh, forgiveness. And now, because of the blood of Christ, his representation, listen to this, his representation in heaven of you, the Lord sees you as perfectly righteous. That's our advocate. <laughs> See, that does everything for you. That does everything for you. You're no longer worrying, am I in, am I out? Am I in, am I out? You know Psalm 103.12 that says, as far as the east is from the west, that's where he's taken our sins and he remembers them no more, Hebrews 8.12. In other words, God's taken our sins past the vanishing points on the horizon where we can't even see. So he's taken it that way because why? Because Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. And if you're up there saying, am I in or am I out or am I in or am I out, listen, you don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel says, we get his, or he took our sins, we get his righteousness. He represented us, in a sense, at the cross. He represents us now in heaven. He is our advocate, the ultimate defense attorney, right? Isn't that beautiful? And so now, when you start to understand these glories of heaven, these glories that are set down in the Bible, by the way, there's no religion in the world that talks this way. You know what the other religions say when we get to the next verse? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. Jesus is up there saying, Lord, your justice is beautiful, and you poured it out on me. And I represent Tim to you, and you see Tim as righteous. You know what the next verse says and, and, and how the world thinks about the next verse? He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, or not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Boy, that's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure uh, limited atonement folks uh, can deal with that one. Jesus Christ made provision for the whole world, folks. The whole world. I didn't say it. The Holy Spirit said it through 1 John. Through He made atonement for the whole world. And what is propitiation? First of all, just from a definition standpoint, I had to look it up, and I read a lot. I forgot what this word means, but many of you will know it. Propitious. Forget the Bible. What does propitious mean? It means to bring into favor. <laughs> so when you see this fancy word here, don't get scared. It means to bring into favor. Don't you want to be in favor with God? Of course you do. Well, listen, to the pagan world, you know what atonement meant for them? Listen, Oh it meant, like, like we used to live in Hawaii, and the first weekend we were there, this was so awesome. Why they entrusted us, I have no idea. We flew over to the big island of Hawaii, my wife and I. We, got a, we rented a big van, and we took all the University of Hawaii football players down to the local, massive, humongous volcano. It's so big, you, you don't see any silly cone. There's no cone. It's so big, it's just, you're like, where's the cone? There is no cone. I mean, it's humongous. And we take them down to, um, what's the name of that place? Anyway, we take them down to the big uh, the, uh, volcano down on the big island of Hawaii, okay? And uh, we get down there, and uh, we're with all the football players, and we hardly know them. We just move there, and now I'm an assistant coach, and, you know, she's along for the, you know, helping me out, and we're being the chaperones over on the big island. So we drive down to the national park. It's that one you see on TV all the time where the lava's still flowing up and under the ocean, and it's just, I mean, smokes everywhere, and we get to this place, and no kidding, I kid you not, there's this police tape, and there's signs everywhere, don't go past this point, you could die, da-da-da-da-da, don't do this, and uh, we get the guys out of the car, and you know, these guys are huge, I mean, look at me, what am I going to do, and they all start walking into the lava field, and we're like, what in the world, huh, (laughs) what's that? Yeah, underneath, right underneath the caution tape. But we, we join them, okay? And, <laughs> and we turn around. Would you, could you believe it? Could you hardly believe it? We turn around, and here comes a park ranger. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I have got my dream job. I've been on the job one month, and I'm fired, right? So we get there, and the ranger gets out. And, I mean, Jan and I are, like, whispering, like, oh, my gosh, we're toast. We're, we're going to get it. And he, like, pulls up the caution tape, and he sees all our gear, you know, Hawaii football stuff. And he walks in there, and he's like, hey, how you guys doing? You want to know anything about the volcano and stuff like that? I know. It was really weird. Okay. So that, yeah, they're taking pictures with them and the whole shooting match. Well, anyway, that really doesn't have much to do with the sermon except for this. In... In olden times, right, in pagan times, do you know this? Many believed that that volcano was operated, was at the control or at the mercy of the gods. And when they did something wrong, it would erupt and pour out on their cities. And then what would they have to do? What would they have to do to make the gods not angry anymore? They would have to make some sort of sacrifice. And you've all seen the Indiana Jones ones, and I'll just leave it at that, right? And they would have to make some sort of sacrifice. What were they doing to appease the gods? Look at this. I want you to see this. This is kind of like that word. This is kind of like that word, propitiation. Propitiation means a sacrifice. Listen to this. You're going to want to know this. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath... So that God becomes propitious or favorably disposed towards us. You get it? But let me tell you the difference between the volcano and this. Do you see that the offended party is angry? In my volcano situation. The offended party is angry. Now watch. The people or persons who did the offending... The offensive people had to actually bring the sacrifice to appease the God. That ain't this. Yes, God's wrath, his justice, must be meted out, poured out on sin. But watch this. This is Christianity. Here it comes. But he himself came out of heaven. The offended one... Sacrificed his son so that you and I don't have to. You get it? And there's Christianity in a nutshell. And it's not a nutshell, it's the awe inspiring everything there is of Christianity. The one who's been offended made the move towards reconciliation. By sending his son in fact, in Isaiah, it says that it pleased the father to bruise the son, which should tell you something about yourself, and that's "You really matter." The offended party did it, and he poured out his wrath so that his wrath would be propitiate, would, would, would be satisfied, so that he could act favorably towards us. He's now free to pour out his mercy and grace on us. You get it? See, if you know these truths, why am I going through this at such a snail's pace? You're like, come on, man. Why am I going through this at such a snail's pace? Because nine out of ten people who come to my office for counseling are hung up right here. Because they're wondering, did I do enough or did I not do enough? And then I have to say the hard thing again of, you don't get the gospel yet. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he's done and is doing. He's paid for the sin. You don't have to have any more guilt or shame. And if you wonder whether you've accepted or not, just read uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He's our advocate that says, I'm pleading the blood Tim is perfectly righteous. He's our representative at the cross, but he's also our representative in heaven. He's our defense counsel. He's our advocate. What he's achieved, you've achieved. We're in Christ, and he's in us. Am I making my point? Now, what does this do for us, you see? I mean, come on. This just destroys. It melts away guilt It melts all the guilt away. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. This was his plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. This is his plan where he came out of the heavens. He came off the bench and stood as an advocate, the Son. What he achieves, we achieve. You don't have to be anxious anymore. You you don't have to be anxious A God that can do that can handle anything. A God that has done that, a God that is doing that. And now as you read, as as we're going through on Wednesdays, the program of God now in the future that he's going to unfold for us, listen. Listen. I know you, you're concerned about whether or not you know, your car gets the rear bumper replaced or not. But in the grand scheme of things, it ain't that big a deal whether your Lexus got taken out. <laughs> you're going to spend eternity with the Father. What in the world do you have to be anxious about or me? He says, don't worry, I'll clothe The lilies of the field, and if I'll do that in such array, I'll take care of your worries too. That's the God you serve, folks. And it's real. It's true. It's so real, and it's so true. If you don't get this, you'll never get Christianity. You'll all still be, and we'll all still be in performance Christianity. Did I do enough? Did I read enough? Did I pray enough? Well, you don't get the gospel. Should you read? Should you pray? Should you be in fellowship? Of course but the only reason we do it now is not because we have to to get to God. It's because we get to, because we serve a God who's done this. Two verses, 1201. I want you to give me a pat on the back after this. We're going to uh, have the people come, and we're going to worship one more time. Are we going to worship one more time? Yes it 's the first time in months we 've worshipped one more time, because usually this is around twelve forty or twelve thirty twelve twenty. I can think of no more important piece of scripture for Americans today we 're so tense and we 're so preoccupied and we 're so Uh, performance-oriented, and we love rules, and we want to measure up, and we want people to tell us, are we doing good? In fact, if you admit it, some of you in here want to know if you're doing better than others. Come on. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is he's done it all, and he represents you in heaven now. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much uh, for this morning and for these words. Lord, we know in Revelation 12 you tell us that there's an accuser of the brethren, our enemies. We'll get into that next week. But, Lord, we have you, the advocate, who stands in our place. So, Lord, I thank you for these truths, and I pray that everybody in here and everybody watching would pray about these things and start to work with these things and understand that the gospel is we don't earn, we just respond in love to everything you've earned or accomplished. Lord, help us to grow in these ways. Help us to be long-suffering and loving as you pour these things into our heart. Help us to know these eternal truth, so that when we get up and sing these songs, they're way more than just singing. It's the cry of our heart in response to a just and loving God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.